in terms of today, um, where we're going, first off, uh, reference last week, it would probably be helpful if you haven't listened to the talk I did last week to go back and to listen to that, just to give some context around where we're going this term and what we feel God is saying to us. Um, and I think I trailed it last week, but today I want to really take the time to invite the whole church, you and me, anyone listening here in the room and online, to consider three practices, to, to try and build these three practices into habits in our lives, because I believe these are habits that can change your life and shake our world. And um, we'll, we'll kind of get there in a minute, but first we need to talk about our brains and the way that God made us. Now, uh, one of my friends, Alan Rose, talks about how he gets concerned about people kind of going outside of their field of knowledge when they're speaking. He talks about people who, are, who know just enough theology to be dangerous. And uh, probably I would apply that to myself. I know enough science about how the brain works to be dangerous, but I do not know a whole lot. And so please, if I get any of this wrong, I'm sorry, this is going off uh, books I've read uh, in the last couple of years. And some of you will be sitting there thinking, oh, he's got it all wrong, it's terrible. But I believe I'm going to try and get some of it right today. But if you need to correct me, please feel free afterwards. I don't mind that. Um, so we're going to talk about our, how our brains work to start with. And uh, trust me, this is going somewhere, even if it doesn't seem uh, like that at the beginning. Uh, so you may have heard um, the, the phrase before, uh, creatures of habit, somebody being a creature of habit, right? Usually we apply it to certain individuals who like things to be a certain way. The reality is, though, that it's true of all of us. We are creatures of habit. It is the way God made us. Your brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. So on its own, without any input from you, without any consideration or conscious thought or intervention, your brain will try to make almost any routine it spots and turn it into a habit because when something becomes a habit, you just automatically do it and you don't have to think about it. Your brain can ramp down and save itself some brain power. A lot of this idea today comes from a book called The Power of Habit. Some of you might have read it by an author called Charles Duhigg. And um, I'm just going to touch the surface today, really, if you want to hear more about it. It's a really interesting, very interesting book. Uh, I would highly recommend uh, reading it. But this is how he describes our brains working. He talks about our brains looking to create a habit loop, which involves three stages. The first one is a cue, as in C-U-E, a cue, a trigger, something that kind of awakens our brain to follow the next step, which is a routine. It, it just kind of goes through a process. It might be a physical action. It might be a mental or an emotional routine. And then the third element of this habit loop, which just reinforces, 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 is a reward at the end of the routine. The reward helps the brain to figure out if this loop is working or not. And if the brain thinks, yes, that routine seemed to bring a reward at the end of it, next time I will just do it without, you know, without thinking about it, without involving the thinking part of the brain, we will just do it. Now, the problem with this is that the brain pretty much decides all on its own without your input. It decides what is helpful and what isn't. You know this to be true because you have developed both good and bad habits, okay? It, your, your brain doesn't necessarily have a reference point for which ones really are good. It just sees a reward, thinks reward is good, therefore, next time I will go through this loop. Cue, routine, reward. Let me give you a couple of examples that might help you 
Those of you who drive will know that if you're driving along and there is a car in front of you, your brain will spot brake lights on the car in front of you. Uh, your, your brain will tell your right foot to come off the accelerator, to press the brake, and, uh, and your car will slow down and not crash into the car in front. And, uh, and basically, the reward that your brain recognizes is you don't crash into the car in front, you reach your destination safely. You don't think about that, do you, at all, now that you've been driving a while? It has become habit. You don't think consciously, brake lights, right foot, take off that pedal, put on that pedal, slow down, sorted. You don't think about it, do you? It's become a habit for you. I would suggest that is a good habit, right? Your brain has done a good job of keeping you safe in that loop. A second example, the cue might be you are waiting, I'm going to get confusing here, I don't know why my other example involves the other kind of cue, but you might be waiting in a cue, Q-U-E-U-E, is that how you spell it? Um, you might be waiting in a queue, and you've been waiting there for a little while, and, uh, and you're bored. The queue is boredom. It's like, what do I do? And so your routine that your brain has now worked is you pull out a little five-inch rectangle from your pocket. You swipe up, you, or whatever it is, you show your face, you type in your number, however you unlock your little device, and your thumb automatically goes to whichever is your app of choice. It might be for you a social media app, or it might be reading the news, and you interact with whatever that is, and the, your brain, the reward your brain gets is it releases, interacting with social media, inter, uh, releases a chemical in your brain called dopamine, which is a feel-good chemical, and your brain goes, aha, this is a reward, this is a good thing, I will do this next time without this person even thinking about it. And so you might find yourself doing that just automatically. It's unthinking, right? It comes out of the pocket, you find the app, your thumb goes to it. Somebody said the way to test this is to move your apps around on your phone screen, right? Just move them and then you will catch yourself, your brain automatically, your thumb will just go to a place and, oh, that's not there anymore, and you've caught yourself recognizing you've got a habit. Now, this maybe isn't a particularly dangerous loop, but over time, when that turns into a habit, you're spending every, every spare moment, every... Somebody remarked recently that we've, we've lost the art of boredom in our lives. The little thing in our pocket has, has removed that from our lives. And, uh, and you might find that it, it's become a bit of an addiction, and every time you're bored, you just pull out your phone and you scroll. Some of you might be able to relate to that. Now, the thing is, this all happens without us realizing the whole cue, routine, reward loop. Our brains associate any kind of reward the brain gets. is like, I'm going to do that again, and actually starts to crave it at the point of receiving the cue at the beginning. You start craving the reward, and therefore you go through the routine. And this could become unthinking and potentially a habit before we really realize it or intervene uh, with our kind of thinking. Now, um, the, the challenge is here. So here I'm leaning on the work of Dr. Steve Peters. Some of you might have come across him. He was a very famous sports psychologist, worked with Olympic teams over the years. Now, what he describes is that the, the unfortunate reality is that because our brains are trying to kind of ramp down and, uh, and go for an easy life, essentially, uh, the brain tends to tap into the, the kind of elements of itself that are unthinking and more animal-like. He describes parts of your brain as being more like a chimpanzee's brain, the part that doesn't involve your thinking processes, it's just your kind of reacting and your doing. And when our brain ramps down and when we start getting to that point of habits are forming, 
The unfortunate reality for you and for I is that without any intervention, our behavior becomes more chimp-like. Now, chimps are not known for compassion and kindness and joy. Chimps are known to be emotional, greedy, and lazy. Did you know that? So, unfortunate, this is, this is just unfortunate. It's bad news this morning. There is some good news just around the corner. Don't worry. But without thinking, without intervention, without us taking some steps and saying, no, I'm not going to just follow the routines and habits that my brain thinks are the right ones. Without that, we will become more like chimps. We will become more emotional, more greedy, and more lazy. Turn to somebody and say, you're definitely nothing like a chimp. Don't worry, if it's true. <laughs> Oh, some of you found that hard, didn't you, actually? <laughs> you should be worried if they paused before they said that. <laughs> okay, are you ready for the good news? The good news is we can change these things about us. We can change these habits. We can actually hijack this loop, this cue, routine, reward, and we can utilize them to become more like the people God created us to be. You and I can change with God. We can be transformed. Now, again, I am not an expert, but from brief conversations with Jeff Mayers around CBT, this whole thing of like, what do you change, your thinking or your behavior? Actually, it can be both. You can, be, you can change your thinking or you can change your behavior. They all, they all kind of interlink. And I would suggest that Romans chapter 12, um, verse 2, actually kind of backs this up. Uh, Paul writes, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Uh, he's, he's given an instruction about your behavior, saying this is one of the ways we can change. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He's saying, look, there are, there, there's both and here in here, in this whole thing. If you're trying to become the kind of person God wants you to be, if you're trying to follow his will, it's going to involve changing our behavior and our thinking. Sometimes we are guilty in our modern world today, in our culture, of just thinking, I need to change my thinking and then my behavior will follow. Actually, it can be both and. We can learn to change our thinking. And one of the ways that we can change our thinking is actually by changing our behavior. It is one of the levers that we can pull. And so this whole idea of hacking or hijacking these loops in our brains by changing our behaviors can ultimately change our loops. This is what Charles Duhigg says. You can change these loops, these habits, and you can create new, good, and healthy loops of cue, routine, reward. You can build, you and I can build new, healthy habits into our lives that don't send us down the route of becoming more like our inner chimp, emotional, greedy, and lazy, but actually become more like Christ, more full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of the fruit of the Spirit, okay? So science backs this idea up. Now let me give you an example just on a really practical level of how you might look at hijacking one of these loops, okay? So let's say, I don't know, maybe it's January the 1st, and you think, I am going to have a healthier year this year. In fact, I want to do so by going out and running on a couple of mornings each week. And your normal routine on a morning goes like this. 
Your cue is your alarm going off. It might be your phone, it might be an alarm clock, it goes off. Your normal routine is snooze, back into cozy bed as many times as you can until you really have to get out of bed and get showered, otherwise you're going to be late for whatever it is you're going to. The reward your brain gets from doing that every time is, oh, this is nice, this is warm, this is cozy, this is rather lovely, in fact. Why would I even go out for a run when I'm in a nice, cozy bed? Your brain goes, well, that was a good outcome. Well, let's do that next time. And therefore, every single morning, your routine is alarm goes off, routine, snooze, go back to sleep, snooze, go back to sleep. The reward is the nice, cozy bed. And you've got a habit, and your chimp has won. The idea is, if you were to try and hijack this loop, what you might do the night before, when you're in the zone of like, I'm going to get up and run in the morning. I am. I really am. If, if you don't want the chimp to win, you need to intervene. So what you might consider doing is saying, OK, I'm going to put my alarm, whatever it is that sets off my alarm, I'm going to put it across the other side of the room. And so to turn it off or to hit snooze, I'm going to make it harder for myself. So I'll actually have to get out of my nice, warm, cozy bed and make my way across to the other side of the room. Uh, you might also think about another way of hijacking it would be to get your running trainers and your running gear out and put it on the floor in a direct path between where you get out of bed and where your alarm is going off. So that the next morning when the queue happens, the alarm goes off the other side of the room, you think, oh, I can't snooze it here. I'm going to have to get out of bed. You've already battled one of the barriers. You're not in your cozy bed anymore. You go across the room, think, I'm going to do it. I'm going to press the snooze button and go back to bed. And you stumble upon, quite literally, your running gear that is another reminder that you had better intentions the night before. And so you put them on, you go for a run, and you experience the rewards of a whole body full of endorphins, the chemical we get when we do exercise that makes us feel awesome. You have hijacked the loop by being really practical, by making different cues. The cue is still the alarm, but you have hijacked it. The new routine has taken over. Now, that is the basic idea behind how you hijack a loop and create a habit in your life. You think about something that is going to be, be the cue, you think about what your routine will be, and you also can consider if it doesn't have a natural reward, you can consider putting a reward in there so that your brain, you're teaching your brain to go, okay, that was good, I'm going to do the same next time, and you're building a habit in your life. Now, the other concept I briefly want to introduce before we actually talk about these practices is that of a keystone habit. So again, this is another concept um, that Charles Duhigg introduces, and what he describes is that there are some small, simple habits in your life that if you get them right, they have like a knock-on impact. They have a greater impact than just that little habit on its own. So you don't have to get everything right if you want to sort your whole life out. You don't have to sort it all out at once. Sometimes you can find one little habit that will have a knock-on implication. He talks about these as being known as keystone habits. And he gives a really good example of this. He says that a keystone habit, and, and this is one for free this morning, you can have this, a keystone habit is making your bed on a morning after you get up, believe it or not. So if you are somebody who does not normally make their bed on a morning and just leaves it messy and gets up and goes about their day, if you were to change this habit, 
Some of you are like, why would you ever not make your bed on a morning? I know some of you do this already. Don't worry. I do appreciate that. I used to be one of those people who didn't, um, and I now do. But if you go from not making your bed on a morning to making your bed every single morning, over time, scientifically proven, you will have better productivity during your day. You will have a greater sense of well-being in your life, and believe it or not, there is a direct correlation to you having stronger skills at sticking to a financial budget. Did you know that? Simply by making your bed on a morning. So next week, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> have you made your bed? It's, it's a bit like the kind of lever thing, you know, like with levers in science, back to your high school science lessons, like it's levers, you, you apply some pressure, and it has a greater impact because it is one of these keystone habits. So what I want to suggest is that these habits, these practices that we are inviting you to participate in over the coming season, I want to suggest that they are keystone habits. They are key things that will have a huge amount, they will make a huge amount of difference. That's why they are life-changing and world-shaking. So we are inviting you today to start participating from tomorrow in three regular practices that we hope you will try to make habits in your life by thinking about this whole cycle, this whole loop of cue, routine, reward, because that's how we build them into habits. And genuinely, I do believe that these, over time, will change your life and shake your world around you. Now, uh, full disclosure here, they're not new. <laughs> like, you're not going to be like, wow, what are these habits? You know, come on, hit us with it. Like, they're ancient, and they're obvious, and you could probably guess them if I asked you to guess them. So here we go. The three are, firstly, to feed on God daily. Secondly, to feast with others weekly. And thirdly, to fast weekly. Did you notice they all begin with F? Come on, they must be good. So let's run through these very quickly. And these are just kind of, we're touching on them. We'll come back and revisit some of them in future weeks. But we are going to run through some of these um, together. Okay, today, the three of them. So firstly, feed on God daily. What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about spending some quality time with God each day, feeding on him, pausing, stopping, reflecting, spending time with him. We're not, we, what you'll notice with all three of these is we're leaving them really broad in terms of the actual outworking. You need to work out what this will look like for you because it'll be different for different people depending on how you find quality time with God. So it might be that you do it at home. It might be you do it somewhere else. It might be on your daily commute if you commute. It might be you want to utilize here, our new atrium starting tomorrow, which has pauses for reflection in the prayer room at 10 a.m., 12 p.m., no, 10 a.m., 12 p.m., and 2 p.m. every single day for just a few minutes. That could be part of your quality time rhythm with God. I don't know what it looks like. You need to have a think about that. But in Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, um, this is what we read. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all you do. There is a hint here at at spending time with God every single day, meditating on his law. For them, for, the, for this author, the law would have meant the first five books of the Bible for us. That's what they were meditating on, the, the stories of old, the stories of God's faithfulness, the ways that God had revealed himself to his people, meditating on those day 
and night. And they describe, the author describes how somebody who does that is like a tree planted along a riverbank. They produce fruit in their lives. You know, I can almost guarantee you, I'm pretty confident in saying this, that most people, the people who you admire their faith, the people who you admire their relationship with God, if you were to dig down under the surface, the chances are almost certainly they are somebody who spends time with God regularly, who feeds on God daily. I can almost guarantee it because over time it produces fruit in our lives. Jesus himself did this. We see this in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place today. He did it early in the morning. Uh, we, it looks like this might have even been a habit if you, um, if you look in Luke chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. Uh, it's a really short verse, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. This, this seemed to be a habit in Jesus' life. Now listen, if the Son of God in his daily life thought it was a good idea to spend time with his Father, then I think maybe we should look at that as a pretty solid example. Now, what do you do in that time? Um, it's up to you, really. You might want to consider, we've posted, uh, I posted on Friday something on Slack, called, a little survey called the Spiritual Pathways Survey, which is a really helpful way of you um, just answering a few questions and, uh, and basically trying to work out how, what are the main ways that you connect with God. And for some, it's like relationally with others. For others, it's out in creation. For others, it is reading academic, big, deep theology books. For some, it's worship. There, there are some of you, you know, some of you, you have kind of multiples, but it's worth thinking about what is that going to look like for me? How do I feed on God daily? Um, obviously, we, you know, the Bible is a great place to start, and for many of us, that forms part of our daily routine. And um, if you are friends with me on the Version app, you've had a mysterious invitation to start a Bible reading plan. If you're not, I've put it on Slack as well, and you can join in with that if you've got the Bible app on your phone. We are setting out tomorrow morning, starting reading through the book of Mark in 100 days, which means it's a really short passage each time, which gives you time to read it and then chance to do something else with it. There are some paper copies as well um, at the info point this morning. If you don't use apps to read the Bible, um, you can just pick one of these up and follow along at home, just a few verses each day to build into your life. So you might want to think about this, like how do you hijack this, a loop? How do you create a habit out of this? How can you do so? So maybe it is about you know, the whole alarm thing. So for me, I used to, my morning routine used to be uh, alarm, phone goes off, alarm next to me, roll over, look at it. I used to sometimes press snooze, but usually it would be like read through the daily news or whatever it might be. Um, Like if I'm honest, that was pretty depressing way to start the day, but it does something. You feel informed. Your brain thinks that's a really good thing, and then I would go off and shower and do the day. Now my alarm goes off at the other side of the room, and um, so I have to get up, and I have a little reminder set on my uh, on my Bible app that pops up like two minutes after my alarm that says, read your Bible today. And that's my cue to, oh yeah, this is good. I can do this. And um, the reality is, what's the reward in this? Well, the reward is is just that quiet moment of presence with God. Like, in his presence that will set you up for the day. Um, The reality is that with all of these things, it's not about the discipline itself. It's about what it does in us. It's about the impact it will have on our day. It's about spending time 
with Jesus. And it's him who changes us. These disciplines don't change us. It's Jesus who does, but these disciplines lead us to him. Okay, what about the second one then? Feast with others weekly. This one sounds good, doesn't it? Some appeal around this. So feast, we use the word feast because it starts with F, but it doesn't have to be a literal feast. You know, you don't have to go for like a five-course taster menu and invite people around. The stress is on the with others bit, okay? It's about sharing hospitality with other people. This is a truly biblical principle to share hospitality with other people. It doesn't really matter what it is. So it might be a meal, it might be coffee, it might be cake, it might be that you're a party person and you're like, I just love having people around for a party. It might be going out for a drink in a local pub with somebody. It could be a five-course meal or it could be beans on toast. It could be whatever you want. I came across somebody recently um, and they, they were like, I'm learning to practice hospitality. And most of the time, I go for pasta and sauce from a jar, and that is the meal we share. And her attitude is, well, my gift to you as a visitor is a really simple meal and a messy house so that you can feel great about yourselves, like at my expense. <laughs> I thought that's a great attitude to have, isn't it? Now, when we're talking about feasting with others, you know, who, who should it be with? Well, whoever. It could be with friends from church who you know really well. It could be new people. It's a great way of integrating people into the life of the church. It might be with friends or contacts outside of the church, but we would love to see a practice built into our lives of regular hospitality, having people around, going out and sharing food and drink with other people. If you're thinking, I would never invite somebody around my house and you freeze during the day, guess what? We've got an atrium ministry starting here tomorrow. Have I mentioned that enough yet? Here tomorrow, 10 a.m. till 2 p.m. And you don't even have to pay for it. It's like make a donation. You can invite people and do hospitality elsewhere as well. Jesus, we learn, uh, seems to do this a lot. Some people say, my favorite phrase about this was some people say, Jesus ate and drank his way through the Gospels, which I think is pretty accurate. If you go through and look at all the different times where Jesus eats and drinks, it is a lot. To the extent where we read in Matthew 11, verse 18, says this, um, this is Jesus speaking. He's talking about John the Baptist. He says, John didn't, eat, didn't spend his time eating and drinking. Well, he did. He, he ate locusts and honey, but that's not exactly like hospitality. Come around my house. I've got some locusts and honey, guys. Like, it's not, it's not feasting, is it? He says, John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, that's how Jesus refers to himself here, says, me, I, on the other hand, feast and drink, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus ate and drank to a level which left him open to the accusation of being a glutton and a drunkard? Does that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? Makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Jesus hung out with all kinds of people, eating and drinking and feasting, and his accusers, he left himself open to the accusation that he was a glutton and a drunkard. Feasting, apparently, is entirely appropriate for the Son of God himself. So for you, you might want to think about this. What does this look like? It might be that you're in a life group and you use at once a month one of your meetings to share food or hospitality together. Think about the Q routine reward thing. How are you going to do this? So for some of you, it might be that once a week, I know some of you, probably not many of you, 
Uh, have a diary night where you look at the calendar for the week ahead together as a family and you work out what's on. You might use that as your cue to think who are we going to have around this week or how are we going to feast with others this week. It might be that you would like a little... I've got one here somewhere. On your way out today, you'll get a little card with these three on. Might be that you stick that on your fridge and that becomes your cue for, oh, we haven't had anyone around this week. Shall we do it? Shall we share some hospitality with some other people? It might be something on your phone that you do. And your routine would be, see this and immediately act upon it and uh, invite somebody around there and then. And the reward you will find at the end of this is spending time with others is just a joy, even if you are the most extreme of introverts. Quality time with others deepens connection and relationship, which God created us to be. He, that's the way he designed us. He designed us to be in community and friendship with others. So the third one then, fasting weekly. I'm really sorry about this one. It's not exactly feasting, is it? In fact, it's exactly the opposite. But John Wesley, he said this, he said, some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. Um, fasting in, in the Bible generally is about abstaining from food for spiritual purposes for a period of time. It helps us to focus on God. It awakens a spiritual hunger within us, and it reveals what controls us. It's a really profound and powerful practice. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 16 to 18, <clears throat> Jesus, oh, in fact, let's go Matthew 9 first instead. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, uh, Jesus says this, one day the disciples, sorry, this isn't Jesus speaking, one day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? You seem to spend your time feasting, eating and drinking all the time. Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. That's now. We're in that zone right now. Jesus has left. He has gone to be with his father in heaven. And he says, then they will fast. There seems to be an expectation upon us to fast. And then let's go for that Matthew 6 verse. Jesus tells us uh, how to do so. This is verse 16 to 18. He says this. He says, and when you fast, there's a bit of an assumption there, isn't there, to his followers. And, like, and when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try and look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything re will reward you. That's really interesting, isn't it? Can you see the Q routine reward loop going on there? For the Pharisees, I've never spotted that before. For the Pharisees, for other hypocrites as he calls them, he says they, they go around, they fast and they make themselves look miserable and disheveled so people admire them. That's, how they, that's the reward they get and so they do the habit loop. They do it again and again because they're like, oh, look, people think we're awesome. We're super spiritual and holy. Therefore, let's turn this into a habit, Brian. But he says, no, actually, there is a better reward. The Father who sees everything will reward you if you do so in private. Now, I, the, the Bible doesn't explicitly say what that reward is. But we can take Jesus at his word that when he says, if you fast or when you fast, if you do so in the way he describes, your Father who sees everything will reward you. Uh, that's an exciting thought, isn't it? Even if it's time with him, I don't know what that reward is. But Jesus says there will be a reward if we do so. 
Personally, I actually have found over the years that fasting is one of those keystone habits. If I have that as a regular discipline, and I, I say that appreciating that you cannot really make this, biblically, you can't make an argument, I don't think, for how fasting should be a regular discipline. I, I can't see that in Scripture. However, if we're trying to build something into our lives, sometimes turning it into a regular thing is really helpful. And I have found that over the years, if I am disciplined in, with fasting, it's a keystone habit. I become disciplined in other areas as well. Other things follow when I get fasting right and develop that as a habit in my life. So how do you start with this? Well, for you, if, you, if your starting point is I don't fast at all, maybe just go one meal a week. Say, I'm not going to eat lunch on a Tuesday lunchtime and instead spend that time with God. For you, it might be something a bit more than that if you're used to fasting. But you, uh, we would love you to consider fasting weekly and how you build that in as a regular thing. Honestly, the only thing that works for me as a cue in this is I put it in my diary with a notification so that before I've had breakfast on the morning I'm going to fast, a thing pops up and says, don't eat. That is literally the only cue I've found that works for me. I do not remember uh, any other way. And then during the day, I will use those hunger pangs as cues to, to pray, to spend time with God, to enjoy Him. So these are simple practices, three simple practices if we can build them into habits, I believe they are life-changing and world-shaking. And they are massively countercultural. I, I am fully aware of that. Feeding on God is countercultural. The world says, be busy, productive, you know, use the most of all of your every moment of every single day. And the world also says, there is no God anyway, and so why spend time for him? You don't need him. You're great all on your own. Feeding on God says, you know what? There is a God who knows me better than I know myself, who loves me intimately, who wants to guide me today and wants to use me for his good, and I need him, so I'm going to spend time with him each day. The world says you are an individual, you're a self, you don't need other people. The only feasting you need to do is feast on Netflix, and you will have an awesome life. Feasting the way we're talking about it says, I am made for community, actually. I can extend a welcome and hospitality to others. There are other people out there who are lonely and who need community and friendship in their lives. Feasting says sharing food is a spiritual, sacred thing to do. So let's do it and have a wonderful time doing so. The world says, accumulate, buy, eat, drink, satisfy your cravings. This is how the economy works. Keep doing so. Have your, all of your cravings satisfied instantly, as quickly as possible. Don't deny yourself of anything that might be good. Life is awesome. Enjoy it all. Accumulate, buy, eat, drink, satisfy. Fasting says, I recognize spiritual hunger as well as physical hunger. My body is not in control of me. I'm rejecting spiritual flabbiness. God can give me the power to say no to food today, and therefore he can give me the power to say no to other things as well. There is good in waiting. Uh, there is good in denying ourselves for a time of some good things to prioritize God in our lives. So we invite you to these practices, and I do so fully knowing that some of you have built them into your lives already and you're already doing them and you're like, what's he even talking about? Great, brilliant, good on you. Help some other people now to do the same. So you might want to think about what this looks like for you. Set some goals around it. Be realistic. Don't, you know, 
marathon, if you want to run a marathon and you've never run before in your life, you don't just enter a marathon three weeks from today and try running on the day. You gradually build up. Be realistic about how you can do this stuff. What will it look like for you in your life? And how can you hijack some of the natural cues that are in your life to build new habits around it? Talk to other people about this. Talk about it over lunch today. Talk about it with your family, with your life group, whatever it might be. And let's just kind of imagine as we finish here, why don't we have the uh, musicians back up as well? But why don't we, let's just imagine with me, in 10 years' time, Maybe there's somebody here, who, in this room even, who you admire and you think, I just love their relationship with Jesus. And you spend some time, you prioritize feeding with God daily to the extent where it becomes a habit in your life. Just imagine what kind of person you'll be in 10 years, having spent that quality time with God daily. And imagine what kind of church we might be here if we can embed this ministry of hospitality into our lives. We will become you know, wouldn't it be amazing to be the most hospitable group of people in this city? Like I say that, hoping that all churches are, are that as well. But like, what, what if church community, what if somebody comes along and immediately they get invited somewhere for lunch? We would become the stickiest group of people in the best way possible. People would stick here. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing to become as a church family? So, you know, I've I've laid out these things today. You have a choice. You can absolutely go away and say, no, sorry, that's not for me. But we would love you to consider that, just to think through, how can I build these practices into my life? How can I turn them into habits? And, uh, And I'm sure God will do all kinds of things, and we'd love to hear stories in the coming weeks of how God is using these things in our lives to change us and to bring about something good.